Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There is a story for everyone here, because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybox. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybox together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Storybox. And have I got an episode and a conversation for you guys today? My guest is none other than Professor Tim Spector. Now, for those of you that somehow don't know who he is, he's an award-winning scientist and author with over 1,000 original articles published in some of the world's top scientific journals, placing him in the top 1% most cited scientists on the planet. He has been everywhere recently. If you haven't seen his conversation that he did with uh, Stephen Bartlett on the Diary of the CEO, then you're definitely missing out. It was a great conversation to say the least. And he's done several other interviews with Dr. Rungan Chatterjee of Feel Better Live More and my, my friend Simon Hill of the proof. You can go and check all those out right now. To make it easy for you, I'll, I'll link them in the show notes below. But as a professor of uh, genetic ep- epidemiology at King's College in London and the leader of the world's largest identical twin study, Twins UK, Professor Tim wrote his best-selling book, Identically Different, which makes understanding genetic traits and how our environment impacts our genes easy for everyone to pretty much grasp. His next book was then The Diet Myth. He has written several books, actually three books, when it comes down to the importance of diet, what we eat. Uh, And the first one, like I mentioned, the diet myth was the first introduction on the importance of gut microbiome for human health for a wide non-scientific audience. His next book was called Spoon Fed, which offers the latest uh, evidence on food science and personalized nutrition, the impact of our food environment and how profits and policy impact our dinner tables with a pro pragmatic real life approach and his latest book which you can go and get right now it's called food for life it's his most extensive yet and this conversation that takes place with myself and professor tim Spector is a quite extensive look 
at what has happened to our diets, the whole ultra-processed food culture that has been infiltrating our lives for such a long time uh, and it is causing a myriad of problems in our society. If you haven't noticed, mental health and other diseases, which we do talk about during this conversation. But also, Professor Tim Spector is the co-founder of Zoe, which was born to help individuals with their nutrition, but it became more than that during the COVID-19 pandemic. Zoe's user-friendly interface, coupled with Tim's trusted expertise and the brilliant data scientists who mapped and analyzed reports, symptoms, and positive cases, led to the largest active cohort study in the world with over 2 million active participants. Uh, the Zoe COVID study is influencing how we understand COVID and informing um, how we can protect ourselves against severe illnesses in the future. And I love Tim's approach when it comes to looking at diets and how diet really impacts our overall life, how we feel, and asking ourselves the important question of what am I about to put into my body, looking at the ingredients list. And a lot of people I know don't really do that. And they don't really understand the the harmful chemicals that are put into our food that impact on our gut microbiome. I've become more fascinated uh, by this kind of research as I've gotten older and with my own health issues. So it was really, really vital for me to actually get to speak with Tim and dive into all these areas. We, we cover a lot in this conversation, but with that all being said, my friends, listen to this one and if you get something from it, share it around to your friends and your family uh, and help them as well get informed. The more informed and the more information we know, the better it is, but also having that kind of information at our, at our fingertips is great for application if we choose to do so. All right, my friends, I have more exciting news because uh, I know this intro introduction is going a little bit long, but stay with me. This, this, is, uh, this is good. I promise you that. If you've watched any of my YouTube videos, by the way, we have a YouTube channel if you didn't already know. If you, so if you want to watch the 4K versions of these conversations, you can do that uh, at YouTube. Uh, don't forget to subscribe too. But if you've been watching over there as well, then you'll know that I have been recently wearing these shirts known as, or the brand is known as Slouch Potato. And guess what? They're actually the comfiest pajamas I've ever worn and I don't wear pajamas. How about that? I don't like to wear pajamas, that is. But when Zach and Joel first came up with this idea and I first saw it, I was hooked. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to try this out. I'm going to support the guys. And when I did try it out, I'm glad that I did because it was the comfiest clothes that I've ever worn. And the best part about it, I think, that is, you can wear it around the shops and no one will be any wiser to the fact that you're actually wearing pajamas. I've worn the full set out in public and nobody actually knows. I wear it on my, on my show and all I get are these positive comments from people saying that they love the name and they love the designs and they love the style uh, just by looking at it on, on the screen. Maybe it fits me really, really well. I don't know. 
But I love partnering with people and brands that I actually agree with and love. And to be honest with you, these guys are not paying me at all to say this, but I wanted to partner up with them. I asked them for this so I could bring you guys a special discount so that you can experience the absolute joy that is of wearing their brilliant clothing slouch potato. Uh, all you need to do is they're, they're relaunching um, at the moment, so in the next two weeks, but all you do is you sign up to their newsletter and you'll be able to get 10% off when you use discount code STORYBOX at checkout. That is STORYBOX at checkout for 10% off when their new range hits in February. I'm very, very excited about this one, my friends. And I know that you guys, if you love wearing pajamas or you love wearing comfortable clothing like I do, then you're really going to love this brand and this um, style of clothing too. With that all being said, my friends, I know we've gone a little bit longer, but that's ultimately okay. It was definitely worth it. So, you know what time it is. It is time to journey with me into this story box as we listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the stories of none other than Dr. Tim Spector. Good day. Great pleasure to be here. But uh, I'll, that's the that's the limit of my uh, Australian. I'll go back to my Pomax now. <laughs> you were just telling me a moment ago that your mum is Australian. You grew up a little bit here in Australia. Do you? How often do you get over here? Well, it was usually about every two or three years, um, but I haven't been for about four or five now because of the pandemic, etc. So I am looking forward really to my next my next trip. So hopefully. Um, uh be nice to go do something at the end of this year. Be really cool. Do miss it. What was it like for you growing up in, in good old Australia? Uh well, I, this my my father was an academic professor and and uh he he did a sabbatical in Monash uh in, in uh, Victoria. Yeah. And uh a couple of them actually. And so the whole family came out and um spent I think it was a, at least six months. Um, and um, my brother and I went to the local school. It was uh, Camberwell, in, uh, which people in Melbourne know, uh, the suburb of Camberwell, and went to the school. And it was a bit of a shock for us because, it, strangely, Australia at that time was really strict and the teachers were really strict. And my class was divided um, into Australians and New Australians. So the immigrants were on one side of the room and the uh, the Aussies on the other. And I was put in with the immigrants initially. Oh, wow. um, it was only when I uh, they found out I could play cricket that I was allowed to move to the uh, Australian side. So this gives you an idea of what um, 1960s Australia was like. Uh, and, uh, yeah, the, the, we, we had to go out and uh, listen listen to God Save the Queen or sing uh, uh, and salute the flag and march. It was all very military. And we were, even at that age, the age of sort of um, seven or eight, you know, there was corporal punishment as well. So um, the only good thing is there was lots of sports and you could get unlimited licorice and meat pies from the tuck shop. So that was, they were the good things about uh, 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 going to an Australian school. But it, it, it was a great experience. So very few kids of my age had travelled. And of course, getting to Australia then, 
you pretty much have to stop everywhere, you know, sort of all across the Pacific. You'd be stopping Fiji and, you know, Tahiti and Hawaii. You know, it, uh, it sort of took forever, whichever way you went. Um, so it was a, a great experience. And so, yeah, and um, always been fond of Australia and, and, you know, any excuse to come back. So, yeah, and, and with a so what was really interesting is my brother and I, within a few weeks, our accents had changed. We completely blended in because uh, we didn't want to be on the immigrant side of the room. And uh, I think we're you know, kids are chameleons. And uh, it, it was quite interesting. But then, you know, we used to go to school on the tram by ourselves. And, uh, and uh, yeah, certainly fond memories. And going to the beach and the swimming pool. Um, although my, my, my grandfather was a real... F- fitness fanatic and um my mum uh was brought up she swam for uh, for victoria so he, he was always trying to get us up at six in the morning and uh get us swimming but often it was a freezing cold swimming pool and uh <laughs> one of the real olympic ones and I, it slightly put you off with that sort of um you know fanatical type of parenting but um yeah really good memories are you a fan of the cold plunges today though um I'm terrible. I think my my genes uh, are really the wrong ones, and uh, I do really badly in the cold. Um, I do swim in the sea, um, uh, but mainly in Spain rather than in England. And you know, so do long uh, ocean swims, and you do. I do get cold, but I'm generally wearing a, a light um, wetsuit. So I haven't found myself drawn to the cold plunges. Or I've tried, you know, forty five seconds under the under the uh, in the shower. Um, but uh, yeah, I think you've got to do it every day, and you know that's I'm traveling around too much for that. So that, I've got lots of excuses, as you can tell. I'm a bit wimpy on that front. I love cold weather or colder weather, uh, but I don't like cold plunges. Let's just say that I, I just prefer to be in a colder environment because my body temperature just rises, especially at nighttime. So for me, being in good old sunny coast Queensland heat. Humidity is, especially at night time, not a good mix. So I'm always trying to cool myself down as best I can. So I would trade places with you in a heartbeat, Tim, with you being in in Europe at the moment and maybe in the in the, the warmer environments. But uh, I, I do well, want perhaps to- we'll swap. Perhaps we'll swap. That'd be a good idea. We can have a job swap. We'll do a, a foreign exchange <laughs> swap. You know, um, but I did want to ask you about. So you. Grew up here for a little bit, then you moved over to uh, Europe. Obviously, you're there still now. You've got a lot of uh, wisdom and knowledge when it comes down to diets. And how do you think the Australian, the average Australian diet, compares to say some of the other diets you've seen, like the American diet, the UK diet, and, and abroad? I think uh, Australian diet is pretty similar to the British diet, and which is nearly as bad as the American diet. So the American diet is beyond <laughs> doubt the worst uh, diet um, on the planet. And I rate bad diets by the amount of ultra-processed foods that uh, they eat on a regular basis. And um, not they're not home cooking and they're, they're buying pre, pre-made, full of chemicals, lacking in fibre, full of sweeteners, flavorings, et cetera. And 
I think the, the latest figures are that it's close to 70% of all calories eaten in the US um, are ultra-processed. And I think uh, the UK, it's about it's just under 60%. And I think Australia is somewhere between 50 and 60% as well. So it, you know, they're pretty similar. And our, and our kids in both countries uh, are doing worse than the adults. So the kids are, are raised even even more on these ultra-processed foods and levels of obesity in Australia and the UK are pretty similarly terrible and still getting worse despite, you know, um, but pseudo-attempts by governments to, to do something about the crisis. Uh, none of them had really the courage to, to do anything. So I think the story I tell for, the, you know, the UK should you know, absolutely resonant, resonate uh, in Australia, as you know, less and less people are, are cooking. More people, you know, in, especially in poor areas, are surrounded by food deserts. They've just got uh, takeaway places and um, uh, cheap junk food more and more available. And the gap between, you know, the pricing of, of junk food and yeah. uh, real foods is getting sort of bigger. Uh, and, and, and prices are going up, as you know, in Australia and in uh, and in the UK. So making it harder and harder without government action. It's almost as if so, like they don't want you to eat healthy. They want you to be fat and unhealthy by giving you so many, so much access to all the ultra processed food. It's kind of annoying. Well, it's not even annoying. I mean, in the UK, I've worked out that the price of this bad diet is, you know, runs to about 70 billion pounds, you know, over a hundred billion dollars. And it, and it, and it, but that works out at about um, over you know, $600 extra tax per person yeah. that we're paying for the healthcare needed for obesity and diabetes. And so if people said, oh, are you happy to pay an extra $600 a year, um, you know, because of the way that we're feeding people, they would probably say, no, I'd rather you put that money um, into subsidizing real foods and stop subsidizing um junk foods and cheap meats etc which unfortunately the agricultural policies are all designed uh, to keep going and it's uh and it, and it's kept going because of this massive lobbying power of of the of the food companies you know most of our food is controlled by about a dozen companies uh globally and they have the same clout as medium sized countries when it comes to uh, you know, advertising, uh, political pressure, they can, you know, kill any bill that comes uh, through because they have most of these politicians in their pocket and they also sponsor a lot of uh, research in nutrition departments and they're a very pervasive group that, um, uh, you know, don't want to have change because they're making lots of money and they're making f these foods that are very tasty People buy them voluntarily. I'm not saying they're forcing on people, um, but inherently they are making us all sicker and making us overeat. Do you ever foresee, like in the future, do you ever foresee that side changing in a dramatic way and getting better for us? Um, I think there will be some countries, hopefully, that are progressive that will introduce um taxes on the 
on these foods that are making the population unhealthy, just like uh, we, you know, we've done with cigarettes and with um, alcohol. Yeah. You know, um, a lot of the arguments against junk food are, well, uh, you can't, so, you know, you probably remember our, we've had a succession of prime ministers recently, but um, we've caught up with Australia recently, <laughs> or Italy. Um, uh, say we had three in a short space of time, but Boris Johnson's, you know, famously said, oh, well, we don't, uh, why would we want to, uh, you know, we, pe- people should be free to buy what they want. You know, if there's three, two for one offers, we don't want to restrict what people uh, get. That's the nanny state. And yet we don't have uh, two for one offers on alcohol. Um, you don't have, uh, you know, discounted cigarettes that you can get for, for nothing. They're massively taxed to disincentivize people to do them. And that works. And so I think we'll look back at this time and say, how come we were, um, you know, not only allowing this to happen, but subsidizing these companies to produce foods that we now know are uh, make make us, regardless of the calories, make us overeat and are distorting our whole food system and getting more and more prevalent and sort of hooking kids on this idea that you don't have to uh, cook. Everything, you know, is everything in life comes in a packet. You don't even have to buy a, a kitchen now that has a cooker. You just need a microwave. So, you know, you have what they call Chef Mike does all the work for you. Um, and the, so I think we'll look back at it and say this is just like the, the 1970s with smoking when the companies were doing all they could to confuse the issue and say, well, there's nothing wrong with junk food. It's all about, you know, nothing wrong with cigarettes. You just got to find the milder one, you know, uh, the one with slightly less tobacco in it. And that's what they're, you know, they're doing. They're saying, low, this is low fat. This is low calorie. Um, there's no added sugar. That's just exactly the, the tactics that the uh, cigarette companies were using um, in order to keep it, keep that market going and give false uh, labels of, of, of healthiness on yeah. them. And I think we'll look back at this time and just say, what the hell were we doing? You know, creating this massive overeating spree of really bad food that's not only bad for us, but it is terrible for the planet yeah. because most of these ultra-processed foods uh, contain really cheap meats, and uh, those meats are grown. Eighty percent of our land is 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 to grow crops to feed animals, but then disappears into this sort of junk food that you don't even know you're eating meat most of the time, and it could easily be um, substituted. So terrible for the planet, terrible for us, and uh, very misleading because that whole. The fact that we're eating so much of this food means that those companies are controlling the agenda of what, how we see of food, and that has led to this idea that we um, think of food as calories, as fats, and as sugars, yeah. because those three things they can manipulate, and they can change the labels on the packet to say, oh, we've we've reformulated this. This has less calories, less fat, less sugar. Uh, it's still equally as bad for you, but um, by continuing with this mindset and the fact that 
you know, all of these things are, are doable. You just avoid fats and, okay, a bit of calories, but you can run it off, you know, and the, the all the big soda companies have sponsored enormous studies about exercise and weight loss and said, oh, kids, you know, you can have a, a vending machine in the playground because, you know, Coke is sponsoring that playground mm-hmm. and or given the idea that as long as you exercise, you can drink as much or eat as much junk food as you want. And that's absolute rubbish. You know, as I've been saying recently, it's, it's not a surprise to me or scientists in the obesity world, but the general public still believe that exercise is a good way for most people to lose weight. And it absolutely is proven not to be. Uh, you can't, you know, outrun a bad diet. And I think that's that's really important. And so this whole you can see how it also starts to fit together into this idea that we're stuck in this time warp with 100-year-old concept of calories, simplistic idea of reductionism that all, all Australians need to do is, you know, get off their bums and go and exercise, you know, and you think, well, that's actually nonsense, you know. Someone needs to help them learn how to cook, know what real food is, look at quality of food, and that's the thing that's going to uh, that's going to change, and you know, and importantly, uh, get people to understand more this whole idea of the gut microbiome, which most of the big food companies are working on, but they they won't tell anyone about it because what they don't want is their products being tested mm. on the gut microbiome, because then you know they might have to have warnings or other other things in there. So it's. I think you've got to take step back a bit and say, why are we in this position? And why are we not doing anything? And, and, and you can start, you can start to understand uh why it is. And it, it's you know, it's gonna take a brave government to to break this. And it's also most governments, like in Australia, short term, yep. you know, these things are long-term. It 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 needs really also a change in our mindset to say, well, if we're interested in preventive health, we've got to take 10 year at least 10 or 20 year ideas on this you can't just do it in three years nothing nothing will change you'll just piss off a lot of people (laughs) ain't that the truth you mentioned quite a few areas that i did want to touch on in further detail one of them like you say you can't outrun a bad diet and they say that abs are made in the kitchen um, a firm believer of that. Um, and I, I do want to ask you, so for those people that are wondering and, and, and saying, okay, Tim, well, I've been eating uh, pro- highly processed food my entire life. I feel fine. I, I have a, a six pack. Uh, I'm healthy. I'm exercising every single day. So what is the, what is the harm or what is the, the bad elements to high ultra processed foods like those people that are saying calories a calorie like are we able to break it down a little bit more and say what are the harm harms that come as a result of eating ultra processed foods absolutely and well you know we've all eaten ultra processed foods and um i was brought up on you know ultra processed foods as probably you were you know um, meat pies perfect example (laughs) The, the Aussie meat pie, you know, I mean, there are a few good ones, but most of them are not. Um, <laughs> uh, and, you know, the school tuck shop wasn't the best oh. place to uh, to get your nutrition. Um, but, uh, you know, we survived. 
Uh, and so, yeah, I'm not saying they are deadly and they're going to give you, you know, you won't survive and you get cancer. So, and also for everything I'm saying, there are always anecdotal exceptions. People say, I did this and I'm fine. Um, you know, I'm trained in epidemiology, which is studying huge populations to work out on average how the people do. Yeah. And if I say, for example, that exercise doesn't help weight loss, what I mean is when you look at the, the many studies that have been done where they randomize people to a personal trainer or whatever and, and see what happens to them, um, on average, uh, as many people gain weight as lose weight over time. And if there is a difference, it's a tiny difference of, you know, a kilo or something uh, with a lot of effort. And increasingly with time, it gets harder and harder to lose weight as your body adapts. Uh, doesn't mean there aren't exceptions. Doesn't mean that 5% of people can't lose weight. You know, it may suit them. But for as many people there are, there's actually ones that gain weight. That That's that's what people have to understand. So they can always put their hand up and say, well, it didn't, you know, for me, that was fine. You know, I'm, as we can probably discuss, you know, I really believe in the fact that we are all individuals um, and we can't follow uh, single guidelines. And so you do need to experiment, but you shouldn't be expecting to lose weight if you exercise. You're going to be very lucky if you do. Um, that's not to say I don't approve exercise. Exercise is fantastic for health and your mental state and longevity, et cetera. But, um, you know, this is all about uh, weight loss advice. Um, so coming back to the question, why why would ultra-processed foods be be bad for us? Um, and we've all had them. They're very hard to avoid. I think uh, there, are, there are a number of reasons. And if we break it down uh, into um, the, the constituents of ultra-processed foods are generally extremely low in fiber. So it's it's difficult to make ultra-processed foods that have these fibers in it that also allow you to get that those, those tastes and those chemicals in them and give it longevity so it can stay forever in the uh, in the shops. And um, so very little fiber means very little it gets to your gut microbes, which means that food, that food um, is very rapidly absorbed from your um, your gut. So the sh you get very refined products. So uh, it's like the difference between eating a corn on a cob um, and uh, cornflakes or tortilla chips. They, the corn on the cob is the whole food and it has really a lot of fiber in it, hard to digest fibers, which means that a lot of that food is protected until it gets right down to your lower colon and then the gut microbes have a go at it and um, they can start breaking down that fiber and 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 use it and uh, and uh whereas in processed food they take the corn they, they take that out a bit off they only use the inside bits um which are tend to be the sugary starchy bits and they will make them even finer they will heat them up destroy all the structure so that as soon as you eat it, it, it gets passed into your gut, goes straight into your blood and will give you a, a big uh, sugar spike. Mm -hmm. And we now realize that, it, you know, the speed of which it goes into your system does have an effect on the rest of your body. So, you know, you can have exactly the same 
uh, calorie meal in a different structure. So you can have as many calories in your corn, your, your carb or your cornflakes or your tortilla chips, and it would have very different effects on the body. So the ultra processed food gives you a sugar spike um, after about 30 minutes. In some people, not everyone, in some people that is really big and can lead, also have a dip after it, um, so-called sh- glucose sugar dip. And we've, we've shown with our big studies with Zoe, now in 50,000 people, that um, people who have these big uh, spikes, either in sugar or in fat, which happens about six hours later, same principle, um, you know, fat gets released early on and, and hangs around a long time, both cause inflammation. And inflammation is like a, a irritation, stress to the body, so that the um, uh, it's like a little mini fire that's just burning there. We all need inflammation to get rid of infection things, but normally it goes away and the fire's out. This leaves us sort of so simmering embers if you're having lots of these sugar and fat peaks. Whereas uh, the whole food, you don't get that. Uh, and so, so the effects on the body are that this, it's being stressed much more, long level inflammation that alters your metabolism, which is your sort of energy management system and it becomes a bit deranged, more likely to put on weight, more likely to get diabetes, more likely to get uh, a number of these Western chronic diseases long-term, not just by eating one meal, but over time. And we also know that these sugar peaks and dips increase appetite as well. So that you uh, people who have them are going to overeat in the next 24 hours by about 300 calories, you know, so around 10% eat overeating compared to people eating the same calorie foods in a whole form. Um, so that's one mechanism. Um, the other is that if you look on the back of a pack of, whether it's your uh, tortilla chips or your cornflakes, you'll see lots of ingredients. Yep. And these are extra chemicals that are added to give it flavor, to give it color, to uh, glue this, glue these bits together. Because again, remember the extracts of food combined; they're not actual, are not whole foods combined. They're deconstructed foods. So you've got to stick them together, recreate nature, and to do that, you need glues, you need um, sweeteners, you need colorants, flavorings and all, all kinds of other magic that these really brilliant scientists do there to make them look good and have the right mouthfeel and um, make you make them tasty. And these chemicals have a, an effect on your gut microbes. So you think about, so we're going moving down further now, now that your gut microbes are, uh, they're being deprived of fiber. So they're saying, hang on, what's going on? You know, my brain's saying I'm getting all this food, but we're not seeing anything down here. So we think that upsets things a bit and might make send signals about uh, being being hungry more than if they were being satisfied because basically your microbes are chemical factories that are always sending chemical signals around the body. And some people believe they are responsible for telling your brain when you're full. So some signal should get there after about 20 minutes of eating, which you don't tend to get with fast fast junk food. So they're not getting fiber. They're pretty pissed off. Uh, they uh, By not having fiber, they shrink down the number of species. 
and you get a, a pro-inflammatory type of um, community that is expecting the odd bit of fat to drop down from your your you know your fried chicken um, or your processed meats, uh, and, and the ones eating plants disappear because they've got nothing to eat. And you're also getting the effect of these other chemicals on them that makes them react badly. So we know that we haven't studied most of them, but we do know that emulsifiers, which are the common glues that stick processed foods together, they uh, have an effect on not everybody, but many people react, their microbes react to them and then produce abnormal chemicals, which you know in mice can lead to diabetes, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And artificial sweeteners also, um, not only do some of them actually cause a little uh, sugar spike, so we know that sucralose and uh, saccharin in some people, myself included, cause a little sugar spike, and they're supposed to be inert, right? So that they're sending some signal to the brain. But it, even if they didn't, they all, uh, when they get, uh, when you test people, they affect the gut microbes. So we don't know exactly what they're doing, but you get a, a distorted picture in your gut microbes if you're having artificial sweeteners. And um, mouse models were suggested that leads to greater propensity to obesity as well. So you can see you've got this picture of all these chemicals having damaged the microbes, lack of fiber, plus for reasons we don't fully understand, signals telling you to overeat. And you put that all together, um, it's not a pretty good, it's not a good picture that you really want 60% of uh, your food and 75% of kids' food uh, to be doing to them. And 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 once you start thinking about it, it does explain why, you know, our calorie intakes haven't increased massively over the last 40 years, and yet every year we're all getting fatter. And it's probably because, you know, we are um, eating more of this stuff and uh, less less of the good stuff. You you talked about slowing down the metabolism, which was something that I did want to make mention of and ask. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Give more about like everyone's metabolism is a little bit different, but if you constantly eating ultra-processed food, you're saying that basically it slows down your metabolism, makes it a bit more sluggish. I found that interesting, and. Also, I don't know if you've seen any of these videos, but uh, I think it's um, Food Insider. They did a, a, a video of, they recreated uh, a McDonald's Big Mac and same with uh, KFC chicken. 
basically with all the listed ingredients in America. And my goodness, I was I was scared half to death because the amount of chemicals that they had in order to make that they basically recreated the Big Mac and KFC's chicken. And they had a a huge table full of all these chemicals and they put it all, they're like pouring it inside. It's like a, a science lab. And I was, I was shocked. I'm like, people are actually putting this stuff in their bodies and your body, you, you're making it like your body has to digest all that rubbish. I mean, for goodness sake, like that turned me off. And I was, I, I was, uh, I went cold turkey uh, from fast food and all that sort of stuff when I was a teenager, but that just completely turned me off altogether from all these other um, highly processed rubbish. And, and whenever I go into the store now, I'll look at the ingredients. So I'll make sure I'm, I'm eating more whole foods and, and proper stuff. I mean, I do have my, my weaknesses from time to time as everybody does, but yeah, I just found it fascinating how all these chemicals really do upset you so much. And yet we know so little about them. And I think, you know, just just to be clear, we know very little about the mechanisms here. You know, I'm speculating about metabolism changing. Um, but, you know, there's only you know one or two studies in this. And, you know, the first randomized controlled trial on this was only three years ago. And so mm-hmm. you think oh, what a brilliant job the food industry's done to avoid anybody doing proper studies or trials on the concept of ultra-processed food versus whole food. I mean, you know, you've got to hand it to these guys. They've done a fantastic job and they have brilliant, they get the very best nutrition scientists to work for them and they create these incredible tasting things out of these chemical ingredients that you couldn't imagine as you, you you know, you, you were shocked when you see. And none of these chemicals have been properly tested on the gut microbiome and uh you know they've done a brilliant job in making sure that you know that's not going to happen anytime soon by by this lobbying and our food safety laws are still you know based you know in the 1950s about you know you've just got to feed a lot of it to rats and see if they get liver cancer that's sort of still the concept today um and it you know and and they can get away with getting all these regulations passed because no government wants to stop progress about you know food manufacturing and industry and um getting cheaper product um out there so there's very little control and we don't understand really what these chemicals do and that's why having the gut microbiome and, and seeing it you know these community of microbes that is, is these chemical factories is like a new organ in the body it's like we've discovered a new liver and therefore we should be using that to test foods. And, you know, we should only be passing foods that don't adversely affect our gut microbes, um, treating it as if it was a liver and it was going to give us liver cancer because, um, you know, these are foods that we're going to be exposed to for years. It's not like it's a single meal or you're taking a tablet for a week um, you know, these. This is a you know a lifetime often of these chemicals that just haven't been studied. So, you know, I think people often say, "Oh well, I'm alarmist," and you know, as you said, we've survived. Um, uh, but there could be, you know, we're assuming everyone reacts the same way, and we know that's not true. So, 
the emulsifier story is really interesting. And one in four people have a really bad reaction to some of these emulsifiers in their gut microbes. Others don't. That's why these things are hard to pick up. And in, in the future, you know, I can see a time where we will have warning this contains this sweetener, warning this contains this emulsifier, and people will be tested to say, well, I can't have that. In the same way, you know, we're demonizing gluten and lectin and uh, all these other these other sort of fads that come and go. And yet every day we're exposed to this other stuff that may well be the, the real culprit. I mean, they have uh, for packets of like lollies and things like that here, they have no artificial colors or flavors, but then they'll have the emulsifiers. And I know for myself, I've got a very sensitive gut. And I know that if I have anything with uh, soy lec- lecithin in it and emulsifiers or any colors, I get really, really bad bloat and it hurts like hell it's not long after, honestly. Like that's why I try and stay away from it as much as possible. Um, and they even put it in bread these days. Like you, you, you go down to the local grocer and you have a look at a packet of white bread, you look at the ingredients in it and it shocks you. It's like... For bread, <laughs> but they they yeah, no. almost everything. People don't realise quite how you know ubiquitous these chemicals are now, and by stealth, it's just crept into our whole system. And yeah, I mean, until I was researching food for life, which is a sort of more a practical guide A to Z of foods, I had no idea like like you about you know what had happened to breads. And it's only when you go and look and you start looking at twenty different types. You know, you, I, I thought ciabatta was an ancient, you know, uh, Italian uh, peasant bread that was fantastic to eat. And of course, it was created by food scientists in the 1980s. You know, it's uh, it's not an old Italian food at all. Um, and one of the best selling healthy um, sliced breads in the in the UK that have a, a brown and look wholesome and everything. Uh, when you look at the ingredients, they're terrible, and mm-hmm. you know, but they have a long shelf life, and they don't go mouldy because they've got these preservatives in them. And so, yeah, people need to be much more attentive. And for me, I know that you know most breads now were the cause of me, I, I probably gaining you know a kilo a year, you know, in my uh, in my fifties because um, I you know I, I love bread, but then I was having too many healthy sandwiches. And that was terrible for me. So there's only a few breads that I can eat that, are, you know, I, I make my own now. Generally, I'm if you make your own, you know what's in it at least, or, or you go to a few trusted bakers. But um, some of these staples, which, you know, we assume are healthy, um, I think everyone does need to be much more critical about what they're eating and, uh, you know, try and break this, this trend of just accepting things as health food because they've got, healthy looking labels and i think that's the that's the real frightening thing here what people can put in food quite legally um you know in australia and the uk what worries me so much like they get away with quite a bit and people are none the wiser and these days a lot of people are wisening up i should say which is great to hear but then also there's a lot of people that aren't and a lot of people that just don't care. So I, I think if we took our health really, really seriously, then maybe we might actually 
care a little bit more with what we put on our body and how it actually makes us feel and uh, how it attributes to the overall health aspect of of yeah. um, of us. Well, that's in a way, you know, the reason I, I write these books and and do these sort of talks is to try and empower people to do stuff themselves. And I think we've got to move from this era that we, you know, we relied on other people to look after us. We relied on them, you know, our doctors or, uh, you know, people in public health to advise us. And I think that system is now broken. Uh, You know, uh, medics in Australia, just like in the UK and the US, get virtually no nutrition training. Uh, They're not the people that do it. You know, I'm medically trained. You know, I thought, if bread was brown and had a healthy label on it, it was going to be good for me. Um, why wouldn't I recommend brown bread above white bread? But, you know, I didn't know they just diet or, you know, it, and it, and you need to look at the fiber content versus the carb content. You know, I had no clue. So, you know, I made lots of mistakes before I really got into nutrition. Although, you know, people would say, well, you're a doctor, you should be an expert. You know, I was giving people advice on, diet for their bone health and tending to eat, you know, drink lots of milk and, you know, all turns out to be wrong. But, um, yeah, it's, 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 uh, so I think everyone really, if they, you know, the most important thing they can do for their health is to make the right food choices. Yeah. And, and it's also the most important thing you can do for the planet. We haven't talked about that, but, you know, I do go, I really, when I wrote the book, it was about the only um, book I can find where people, you can discuss food at a uh, level of health. Um, you know how good is it for you for your health, for your gut microbes, and for the planet. And and obviously the sweet spot is if you get all three of those right. And generally they tend to go together. Generally, what's good for your your gut and your health is good for the planet. And I think that's a really important message. So uh, I think you're absolutely, absolutely. I'm agreeing with you that you know the time is the information is there there's a lot of confusing stuff um but if you accept this holistic view um and you know that the advice is still evolving as well um it is an exciting time to empower people to really experiment themselves work out what works for them and you know and and in a way that's another reason that i'm championing also this personalized nutrition approach because there isn't one uh, rule for everybody i think yes looking after your gut gets you gets you a certain way and i think it really helps a mentality to think is what i'm eating good for my gut microbes that's a pretty good test of food and i think you know there's not much uh, you, you can go wrong there you know it's diversity of plants it's fermented foods it's brightly colored it's you know fasting it's um avoiding ultra processed food but then this other level of personalization as i was saying bread for me is very bad but for my wife it's not a real problem you know which is really annoying uh, she eats croissants and things i you know and doesn't get a sugar spike uh yeah really annoying um so i you know but i've switched my food to diet to a, a fatty diet um and um that's what people need to start thinking about is how how do I make these, these shifts? Do I really need breakfast? Should I be, you know, am I an evening person, a morning person? Um, you know, how much fermented food can I eat? Uh, are there certain things that 
affect me, certain chemicals I really have to avoid. Uh, I think this idea of experimentation is important when you grasp it once you realize that everything you've been told is probably rubbish. And you have to go back to basics to say, how do I sort of relearn this stuff? How do I listen to my body again? And um, I think that's 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 really important. We start to go back to basics, think about, oh, am I hungry now? You know, most people, when they wake up in the morning, seven in the morning, you're not starving. So why do we eat? You know, well, because Mr. Kellogg's tell us to eat. Um, Hunter-gatherers don't eat in the, in the morning, don't have a word for breakfast. So where did that come from? So, And yet, I say this, and I think 10% of the population are hungry in the morning. Yeah. And they say, Tim, you can't deprive of us of our breakfast. You know, um, I'm really hungry. If I don't have that, I, I'm really, you know, my day's terrible. So fine, go for it. But don't don't let someone tell you that, you know, you're a bad parent if your if your children don't have breakfast. If a teenager says, Yeah, I'm not hungry, don't stop forcing me. Just let Only- them find out what works for them. Yeah. Yeah. I I um I've interviewed a lot of scientists and doctors regarding diets, different diet solutions for a lot of people there's so many out there it's just hard to keep up with all of them i think there's like a new one almost every single week it seems like these days and, and one of the things i love about uh, zoe and and zoe's approach and even your approach is suiting a person's diet to their needs and i i have what they i have what i call the freedom diet which is kind of a similar philosophy to that, but also being mindful of what I'm actually putting in my body. So eating more whole foods, trying to have more fiber in my diet, although too much fiber for me kind of backs me up and I don't like it. So I've got to be be wary of that. I can have bread, but the kind of bread that I have, I get from a trusted baker who pretty much his whole process is nice sourdough and he gets his, he sources it all these ingredients um, from good quality produce. So you know it's it's good and it takes him 48 something hours to make the stuff, which is just great. It's, it goes through that whole process of the proteins breaking down and I don't want to get all um, sciencey because I, I, I don't fully understand it properly. All I know is it works for me and it, <laughs> you probably understand it more than I do, uh, Tim. But yeah, I, I think... I did want to ask you about this point because you've written three books. You've got, uh, you're the co-founder of Zoe, which is, you can talk a little bit more about that with this answer if you like. But so you've got these three books, The Diet Myth, Spoon Fed and Food for Life. How do we go about trusting this science, even the old science versus the new science, if it is constantly evolving, if it's constantly changing? Um, well, I think never, never believe a scientist who says, you know, they've got the, the answer forever. Um, I think, you know, or I think we have to move away from reductionism. You know, if, if you, if you meet a scientist that, ah, you know, the answer is this molecule, you know, all you got to do in life is avoid this, or all you got to do is take this supplement and all your problems are gone. You know, I think we've got to embrace the fact that, Nutrition is incredibly complex. Our bodies are incredibly complex. We're incredibly complex machines. And a lot of people are trying to make us think we're really simple and that there's a simple solution and 
this is where marketing comes in and whatever. But if we, you know, realize that, yeah, it is a com- it is complicated and we, we need to start embracing technology to understand it and, you know, not trust anyone who thinks it's that simple. I think uh, that would be my... Uh, my take home here, it's like, you know, we all these foods, you know, what do we associate? You know, oranges, are vitamin C, um, carrots, vitamin A, um, you know, coffee, caffeine. Um, it turns out they all have got 800, different, 1,000 chemicals in them. And, you know, we've been obsessed with that little one and forgot everything else. And that's that's a real danger. So... I think it is an exciting time. Um, there are some general principles, and I, I think, you know, if you eat for your gut microbes and you start thinking that way, as a general rule, if, if some of this advice doesn't fit in with that, then you should ignore it. Um, and the rest of it, you know, I think it's um, a bit of trial and error and personalization and um, not not taking fads and also not doing things that you can't sustain for the rest of your life. So don't do anything too extreme. You know, uh, I'm going to give up, you know, everything forever. You know, um, it, you know, it makes it socially very difficult or you're going to, when you, when you fail, you'll, you'll get depressed and kick off. So I think it's about lots of little nudges in that right direction. So it's very hard to give out ultra processed foods completely. You know, if someone offers me a bowl of crisps, you know, I'm a sucker for it. I'm going to, you know, go for it. Don't beat yourself up. You know, don't, don't say, Oh no, you know, you know, I, I belong to that religion that says, you know, I can never eat a crisp. Um, you should have faith that if, if the rest of the time you're, you're feeding your gut microbes, well, they will allow you that flexibility to, you know, occasionally come off the wagon and have a bit too much to drink, you know, uh, have a late night kebab, you know, uh, all the all the things that um, happen uh, to humans over years without beating yourself up about it. So I think it's it's changing that philosophy from I must stick to this, I must do this, I must follow this fad to something that you just say, this is a long-term change for me and my family. It's, it's a sort of philosophy rather than absolute rules. And I think that that's the way we're going to progress. And yeah, um, you know, there will be scientific changes, but, you know, um, we have to keep up with them. But beware of everyone saying they've got a single, single solution in a single tablet or a single chemical. Uh, and I think that's the way forward. Embrace the complexity, embrace our individuality and, you know, embrace experimentation. Do you believe in some foods that contribute to the aging process and longevity? Do you believe that they have any properties like that in benefiting? Yeah, all good foods probably. I mean, I think, again, it's, you know, people will sell you, you know, this is the uh, longevity berry or, you know, if it comes from the Amazon and, you know, you just got to – or you get this amazing – spirulina that grows in this you know high altitude lake in peru and you you know um basically the most theories of aging include four or five elements out of the 10 that involve diet and uh, suppressing inflammation is probably the number one um part of it so um things that reduce 
the inflammatory, the stress on the body uh, and, on, and on the microbes are going to be pro-beneficial uh, uh, aging. And that's all the things I've talked about. So it's reducing your sugar spikes, reducing your fat spikes, improving your gut microbes, um, and uh, things like fasting intervals, giving your gut a good break and lots of good evidence now that time-restricted eating where, you, you know, instead of the food manufacturers telling us we have to eat all the time and eat, you know, all this healthy, low-calorie protein snack, uh, you know, before you go to bed to build up your muscle, all that's nonsense. You know, just do what our ancestors did and, you know, when the sun went down, the fire went out, then, you know, that's when you, you stop eating and until, you know, 14 hours later. And I think all these things have incremental effects um, to prevent aging and all these systems are linked. And uh, increasingly we're seeing the links between the gut, the immune system and aging. And our immune system is actually key to uh, repairing aging cells, getting rid of damage, uh, cleaning up um, at night. So really important to um, get your, your gut microbes really talking to your immune cells properly with, with the biggest tools, which means get as many of them as you can, there's many, producing as many chemicals, which means you've got to feed them right, feed them diversely. And so I think all these principles are, are applying to aging. I don't think it's a separate area. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, I think it's all it's all linked uh, to, to essentially gut health, which is what you know, Arabic medicine has been on about. Chinese medicine have always seen the gut actually at the center of this. And that's you know, why long-lived populations, you know, all have um, good gut-friendly uh, diets. I saw a video the other day, actually, of, of this, I think she was 98 years old or something like that, and she had, uh, the sweet old lady had this um, uh, jar of ice cream that she was holding, and the woman that was interviewing her asked her, so what do you think is the secret to your old age? And she goes, I enjoy life by cheating once in a while. You know, I eat all the all the sugary things when I want to eat the sugary things. I, I have I have fun with my life. And I think it's like it, it's setting the point of it's eating all this stuff every once in a while. It's not going to kill you, but eating it on a frequent basis is going to really do damage to your microbiome. I know you have... Um, genetics you you've studied genetics um in, in twins which i think is is a fascinating another fascinating topic which we could go into but for the sake of time i, I don't think we we can perhaps for another conversation but i wanted to sort of tie this this conversation up in a, in a nice sort of bow by asking you about um do you think you've got another diet book in you or have you have you sort of finished with diet books for the time being? No, I think we'll probably scratch the surface. I mean, I wouldn't write another one like this. It was six years of my life and I realised wow. halfway through it why no one else had done it because it's really tough because, you know, a sort of A to Z of food, you know, is sort of impossible for any one person to do. So it was, it was far too much work. Um, but I think, yeah, I think, the science is evolving. I think there's so much exciting stuff on the future of food as well. 
uh, future fermenting, but also, you know, these meat replacements. Um, you know, we've seen version ones at the moment, but you know, the V twos are looking incredible. Um, so, you know, we, everything I've we've spoken to up to now is pretty depressing, right? About, but I think, you know, to help our planet and to help our guts, you know, this there is this new food tech revolution out there that people need to know about. And I think, um, you know, I've got a, a chapter about it in Food for Life, but, that, you know, it's only just starting. And I think within two years, you know, we could see price parity between, you know, uh, a burger patty in, a, in the US made in a lab and one that's uh, made by, you know, killing, uh, killing cows. And we could also see fermented uh, plants um, that people can't distinguish from uh, processed meats, uh, replacing those meats at equivalent equivalent price points, which you know, would be incredible and that would really change the whole farming system and uh, you know the way we we're, we're abusing our planet. So I think there are some really exciting areas like that, and you know we've just touched on the personalization, but you know, and Zoe, you know. We've sort of got version one out there in the US and, and the UK, um, which uh, you know tells people about their sugar spikes, their their fat spikes, um, and their gut microbiome. But we haven't really got into detail about you know time, best time of people to eat, morning people, evening people. You know, identifying who a dipper is and saying you know you've got a particular problem, identifying which people uh, sh should avoid emulsifiers, as you, you know, um, you talked about, um, which sweeteners, you know, people should uh, avoid because, you know, we know they're going to give them problems. Um, working out things like hunger scores and things for um, which foods, you know, leave you hungry. You know, we used to have this joke about the Chinese meal, didn't they, that, you know, the sort of um, as soon as you've eaten it, you feel hungry again. But um there might be lots of different foods that affect people very differently. And so some people feel full for much longer and that can be very personalized as well. So I think, you know, the nice thing is we've got, you know, through the Zoe commercial product in the U S and the UK, we've got now 75,000 people who've uh, not only doing the test, but they're, we've got their gut microbe data. We've got all their nutrition data. They're getting retested. This is all going to just, be amazing science data so yeah i think we just scraped the surface it's it, it, it's a very very exciting time and um yeah i think we can do a much better job than we're doing we're doing now uh, on many areas that are still gray areas in nutrition yeah. you know some people can maybe eat meat others you know eat healthily others can't um there might be some medicines that your gut microbes interfere with we know, you know, we haven't talked about antidepressants, but yeah. um, there's, you know, they may not work in some people because of your gut microbes. And so trying to link medicines and microbes and, you know, once you start to see medicines as chemicals and food as chemicals, it's all the same to your microbes. They don't care. Um, and so I think, yeah, there's so much more that we can do, but I'll pick a shorter book next time. That's what I'd do. You you wouldn't be cautious at all with any of the foods being made with modern technology. You wouldn't be cautious in their ability to be sort of 
processed at all or actually good quality? Oh, absolutely. No, I, I definitely am. Yeah. Um, but I think the new companies that are starting have to be more transparent about what they're doing because, you know, people don't care what happens when you kill a cow and you just, just send to a factory, you know, and it goes that final beef lasagna ends up going as happened in the in, in Europe this scandal with ends up with horse meat in it no one no one actually chased it all the way through five countries um but if you've got a, a starting something like a stem cell meat business you're going to be under huge scrutiny about what you put in it and but the nice thing is you can add exactly what you want to put it you can actually put healthy things into the lab mix to grow it up um but I think you know, we absolutely you do have to be very careful, not make the same mistakes we did again. But I'm I've seen lots of prototypes that are pretty pure. You know, they're not adding stuff at all that you, you wouldn't want in your body, that taste the same as you know ultra ultra processed meat products. Um, and so I think it is all moving in the right direction. But we yeah we've got to be careful and we've got to scrutinise them. And definitely some of the meat alternatives on the market now are not necessarily better for you, uh, but they might be better for the planet because they're not, uh, we're not having to feed all these poor animals, you know, to slaughter them and make an equivalent. So, but that's version one. I see them all changing. I think people will in the future be buying those ones when there's, when there's a much cleaner um, alternative that hasn't, it doesn't have all those chemicals in them. Yeah. Finishing this conversation off, I want to bring awareness to the co-founding of your your company, Zoe. Would you be able to explain in more in depth a little bit for people what Zoe is, what it does, and, and how they can get a get a part of it if they want to? Yes. So six years ago, um, I was giving a, a, a book talk, and, and two guys came up to me who are. Uh, entrepreneurs have been working on the internet business in artificial intelligence and said so we'd like to form a company. And uh, I said, I'm not interested unless we do some real science first to establish what's going on. Because we we're talking about personalized nutrition and the microbiome. And amazingly, they came back three weeks later and they said, yeah, we've got seed money, let's do it. And so we ended up doing the world's largest intervention study, giving a thousand people identical meals and seeing what happened to their metabolism after that. And it turned out there were 10 to 20-fold differences in how people responded to those foods, which allowed us to then build an algorithm um, that could predict how anyone could then respond to any food. So that's how I found out that you know I bread was really bad for me and I should switch to a more fatty diet um, to reduce my sugar spikes. Um, and... I also found out my gut microbes were pretty healthy, which is the one thing perhaps keeping me alive. And uh, this that was the basic concept when that became a home kit and um, where people got a glucose monitor, which you wear for two weeks, gives you a readout onto your phone in real time what's happening to your blood sugar, which is really cool because you can for the first time see, you know, um, the effects of those cornflakes, the your beer, your, um, you know, your Ginster's pie, whatever it is, uh, you know, and uh, realise things have an effect. Um, you do a blood test, which is a fat, measure your fat uh, six hours after a fatty meal, which 
we correlate with you know everyone else and you get your micro your microbes which you you send off your poo in the post basically and that's highly definite to find sequencing um, using the best genetic techniques so we can identify thousands of strains and species in your stool and, 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 and categorize it. You get all that stuff back and you get an algorithm on your phone which tells you how you would score every food from a score of 0 to 100 and then allows you to put meals together that give you an average score. So you can say, I want you know to have scores that are good for me and my gut microbes. I want to be scoring over 70 on average meal. And we encourage people to have lots of diversity um, and uh, lots of different plants, all the sort of general um, uh, ideas I've been talking about. We encourage fasting overnight. We encourage uh, trying new things, though, and nothing's off the menu. So we never say you can't have this, and we never talk about calories. Mm. And I think this is it's not a diet. This is a new way of thinking about food with a tool that gets you around that complexity that allows you to do it. So that's what it is. Um, it's, uh, it's only available at the moment in the US and the UK so far. Most people who do it, and it's a it's a three month, usually a three month program after you've got your results, and we have a, a virtual nutritionist helping you create your scores, etc. Um, virtually everyone finds they have they're less hungry, and they have more energy. A few people lose weight, but it's not a dramatic weight loss product. We're not intending it to do that because we don't want to rebound. Yeah. We want this to be a very gradual uh, thing. So it's more about healing yourself from the inside out, thinking about food in a different way, you know, improving your mood, all this other stuff, and generally moving to a healthier planet and health. And so it's going super well. You know, we had amazing um, interest in the UK, uh, and we had to scale up massively. And, uh, you know, we're selling about um, 2,000 kits a week or something in the UK, and there's still a big waiting list. Uh, we'd like to take to other countries, and Australia's definitely on our on our list uh, of places to go. We're still sorting out the scaling and other things and uh, keep tweaking the product. It's always changing, uh, but uh, we'd you know, love to come to Australia to promote it. But at the moment, you've got to um, do this on a trip to the US or the UK if you want to get it at the moment. I mean, I, I stopped counting calories a long time ago, and I'm glad that I did. It's not, mm. not worrying anymore. Uh, no, I think a lot of a lot of what we're doing is educational. So not everyone can afford these these kits. Um, they cost about 250 pounds, but you know that is a fraction of what you would pay if you went to a doctor to try and get this stuff. Oh, yeah. um, but uh, what we want to also do is people can go to the website. In Australia, there's lots of information about our science on the website. That's joinzoe.com. We've written about 40 papers, a lot of them on nutrition, as well as on, we did a lot on COVID at the time as well. And we have a, a free podcast uh, also called Zoe uh, Science and Nutrition, which covers these areas in, in much more detail if really interested in that nutrition thing. So we're really keen on spreading the word and, um, you know, changing the health of millions and uh, do it both with this this commercial kit, but also through media like this that are free to everybody. Because I think, you know, these ideas should be spread um, regardless of whether, you know, you do these individual tests or not. It's about listening to your body and, and changing the way you think about food. 
Well, I, for one, am glad to be helping spreading this kind of message because I think more and more people need to, to get on it, need to understand it more. And Professor Tim Spector, thank you so much for your time, your energy, all the things you're doing out there in the world. Uh, people can go and find you, your books. You're not that hard to find at all. I just search you up everywhere pretty much. And Zoe as well, of course, if you are in the UK and the US. Uh, but Dr. Tim Spector, thank you so much for your time, your wisdom, your advice and your stories and for joining me on the Storybox podcast. Been my pleasure. Hope to see you in real life soon. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.